So the FBI to this day still maintains that no one ever successfully escaped from Alcatraz. But is that the truth? Well, you're going to find out in today's episode. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we're going to look at one of the most famous prison escapes of all time, the 1962 escape from Alcatraz. We're going to look at the four men who planned it. We're going to look at the three men who escaped. We're going to look at the law enforcement efforts to locate these men. We're going to look at the evidence that's been collected since that time and make a determination as to whether it supports whether these men drowned or whether they made it out alive. Then we're going to look at the TV news magazines like Unsolved Mysteries and Mythbusters who have investigated this particular escape, and we're going to see what they have to say about the situation. Now remember to like, comment, subscribe, and share. And note that the Lawyer Up episodes are available on all major podcast outlets. All right, so we are talking about one of the most popular prison escapes of all time, the 1962 escape from Alcatraz. It's been the subject of books. It's been the subject of a movie with Clint Eastwood starring. There have been numerous TV shows about it, and it is a classic. So let's set the stage. The Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary, often referred to as The Rock, was a maximum security federal prison on Alcatraz Island, 1.25 miles off of the coast of San Francisco, California. Originally the site of a military fort and prison used by the United States Army, the U.S. Department of Justice acquired the island and it became a civilian prison in August of 1934 after the buildings were modernized and security was vastly increased. Now, the prison was designed for the worst federal inmates and those that were particularly good at escaping other federal institutions. So given the high levels of security, along with the island's location in the cold waters and the strong currents of San Francisco Bay, prison operators build Alcatraz as America's strongest escape-proof prison. Now, if you're interested in the history of the island, the jailhouse and the other buildings that are on the island, a day in the life of an inmate, and stories about notable prisoners, I have a separate video on this channel that's called The History of Alcatraz. So go check it out. We talk more about Alcatraz in general in that video. This video is dedicated to the escape attempt of 1962. So let's look at the Alcatraz escape attempts in general to start. So the penitentiary, as I said, still officially claims that during its 29 years of operation, no prisoner ever successfully escaped. There were a total of 36 prisoners who made 14 escape attempts. Two men tried twice, 23 were caught, six were shot and killed during their escape attempt, two drowned, and five are listed as missing and presumed drowned. And we're going to be talking about three of those missing men today. So let's start with the cast of characters. We had Frank Morris, we had the brothers John and Clarence Anglin, and we had Alan West. So let's start with Frank Morris. He is the guy on the left in the pick. 
He was born in 1926 in Washington, D.C. He was orphaned at age 11 and spent the rest of his years until adulthood in foster homes. When he got out, he basically just resorted to a life of crime. He finally got caught robbing a bank in Louisiana, and he received a 10-year sentence. He escaped from that prison and was recaptured a year later while committing another burglary. And ultimately, he was sent to Alcatraz on January 20th of 1960. And despite being a career criminal, Morris had an IQ of 133. That is in the top 2% of the general population. So this guy was wicked smart, as you'll see. John and Clarence Anglin. We're talking about the Anglin brothers. Those are the two to the right in the pick. They were born into a family of 13 children in Georgia. They began robbing banks and other establishments as a team in the early 1950s. And they finally got caught in 1958 after robbing a bank in Alabama. Both received 15 to 20 year sentences, but after repeated escape attempts, the brothers Anglin were transferred to Alcatraz. Alan West, he was born in New York City, and he was in prison for car theft in 1955. First, he was in Atlanta, then he was moved to Florida. After an unsuccessful escape attempt from the Florida facility, he was transferred to Alcatraz in 1957. Now, interestingly, as the stars align, they all came from different parts of the country, but they knew each other from having served time together in Atlanta. And as luck would have it, the four men were assigned to adjacent cells in the B block of the jailhouse on Alcatraz, and that was in December of 1961. And because they already knew each other, and they already trusted each other, they could immediately begin formulating one of the most ingenious escape plans ever. So let's talk about the cell. So an average cell in Alcatraz was nine by five by seven feet high. They had a bed, a blanket, desk, sink, and a toilet, and not a lot else other than a little air vent measuring six inches by nine inches covered by a metal grill that lay at the back of the cell and which led to a three-foot-wide utility corridor that will become important here in a minute. So step one of the escape plan was for the prisoners to chisel away at the concrete around their cell air vent leading to this corridor. They used saw blades that were stolen from work areas. They used metal spoons that they had smuggled in from the mess hall. And they had improvised an electric drill from a stolen vacuum cleaner motor. The men concealed their progress on these vents with fake walls that they made out of painted cardboard which in the dark recesses of the cells fooled the guards. And the noise that was created by the drill was masked by instruments that prisoners were allowed to check out and play in their cells at night during the hour of music that they had. Specifically, Frank Morris played the accordion night after night as his cohorts chiseled away. So once these holes were wide enough to pass through, the four would sneak out of their cells at night into the utility corridor behind their cells, and then they would climb up to a vacant area on top of the cell block where they set up a little workshop unbeknownst to the prison staff. Here they hid supplies that they were gathering, including over 50 raincoats that they stole, and they fabricated the items that they would need for the escape. 
In their beds, they rolled up towels and they placed them under the blankets to mimic their bodies. And they placed paper mache dummy heads. These were made from a mixture of soap and toothpaste and concrete dust and toilet paper, if you can believe that. They put these paper mache heads on their pillows. Now they gave them a realistic appearance with paint from the maintenance shop and real human hair that they stole from the barbershop floor and glued onto these dummy heads. I mean, these were really good looking dummy heads. So over several weeks, they made a six by 14 foot inflatable rubber raft from these stolen raincoats, which they would cut and they would carefully sew together. And then they melted plastic over the seams from heat from steam pipes in the corridor. And that would seal the seams and make them airtight. They made life preservers from a design they found in a popular mechanics magazine. They made paddles from scrap wood and screws that they had collected from the shop. They even stole the bellows, which is the part of the accordion that compresses the air. They stole that from the accordion that Morris had played. They also planned out their escape route. The path led them through a ventilation shaft. Problem was there was a great big ventilation fan with a protective grill in the way. So over several weeks, they were able to use electrical wire to wrap around and pop out the grill rivets and ultimately gain access to the fan's motor, which they dismantled and removed. So with the pathway clear, the raft and the paddles ready, the only thing left to do was escaped. So on the night of June 11th, 1962, with all of the preparations in place, it was go time and the men began their escape. So they set up their bunks as usual, towels under the blankets, dummy heads on the pillows, and their faux wall of painted cardboard concealing the vent hole. Now the problem was that West had rebuilt his wall a little bit the day before, and on the most important night, he could not squeeze through the vent. So they had to leave him behind. Now West would go on to cooperate fully with the investigators and give them a detailed description about the escape plan, which is really the only reason why we know as much as we do about how it happened. Once in the service corridor behind the cells, Morris and the Anglin brothers, they climbed the ventilation shaft, went through the fan that they had taken out, and they were up on the roof. Hauling their gear with them, they then descended 50 feet to the ground by sliding down a kitchen vent pipe. They then climbed two 12-foot barbed wire perimeter fences, and having spent several nights watching the island from the rooftop, Frank Morris had mapped out a blind spot in the network of prison searchlights by the power plant near the northeast shoreline. So that's exactly where they headed. So once they were there, they inflated the raft with the bellows from the accordion, which is just genius. And sometime after 10 p.m., they boarded the raft, launched it, and departed towards their objective, which we now know wasn't the closer shoreline of San Francisco to the south, but it was to Angel Island, two miles to the north. So the escape was not discovered until the next morning due to the successful dummy head ruse. And it was thought that the men had at least an eight hour head start on law enforcement. When notified of the escape, Warden Allen Blackwell, who was on vacation at the time, 
He said he wasn't concerned as he did not believe the men could have survived the waters and made it to shore. Regardless, in a joint effort, multiple military and law enforcement agencies conducted an extensive air, sea, and land search over the next 10 days. Now, the search initially focused on the area between Alcatraz and San Francisco, but it expanded in short order. Now, one search boat picked up a deflated life jacket made from the raincoat material just 50 yards off of Alcatraz Island. Another boat found a wallet that was believed to belong to one of the Anglin brothers. Another found shreds of material believed to be remnants of the raft, and that was on a beach near the Golden Gate Bridge almost three miles away. And a Coast Guard cutter found a paddle floating about 200 yards off of the shore of Angel Island. And that was it. No other physical evidence of the men's fate was ever found. And we know that while authorities searched and searched for bodies, none of them were ever found. Ever. And as I had mentioned, West decided to cooperate with the FBI, and he confirmed that, in fact, the plan was not to fight the currents to try to get to San Francisco, but to go with the currents to Angel Island and then to steal clothes and a car once they got there. Now, hundreds of leads and theories have been pursued by the FBI and local law enforcement over the years, but no conclusive evidence has ever surfaced favoring the success or the failure of this attempt. Now, law enforcement initially took the position that the men had to have drowned because no one could survive in those waters. Well, that was until December 16th of 1962, when inmate John Paul Scott successfully swam from Alcatraz to the mainland in San Francisco. Now, the current turned his otherwise 1.25-mile journey into a 2.7-nautical-mile swim to Fort Point at the southern end of the Golden Gate Bridge, but he made it. He was found there by teenagers suffering from hypothermia and exhaustion. And after recovering at the hospital, he was immediately returned to Alcatraz. So while the escape wasn't successful, he proved it could be done. This shook the FBI's line of reasoning that all prior escapees must have all drowned because you couldn't possibly swim to shore from Alcatraz Island. Now today, we know, of course, the swim is very possible. It's routinely done by a multitude of athletes who swim that same Alcatraz to Fort Point route as part of an annual triathlon event every year in San Francisco. So the idea that the men had to have drowned, that was conclusively put to bed. And try as they might, they couldn't find neither hide nor hair of these escapees. In January of 1965, the FBI investigated a rumor that Clarence Anglin was living in Brazil. It was considered significant enough that agents were dispatched to South America to find him, but they had no luck. The FBI formally closed its file on December 31st of 1979 after a 17-year investigation. Their official finding was that the prisoners drowned in the cold waters of the bay while attempting to reach Angel Island, it being unlikely that they made it to shore with the strong ocean currents and the cold seawater temperatures. They cited remnants found of the raft as well as the wallet as evidence to bolster their official line that the raft broke up and sank and the bodies were swept out to sea 
by the rapid currents of the San Francisco Bay, which explained why no bodies were ever recovered. Now, interestingly, the U.S. Marshals did not close their file. In fact, a U.S. Marshal familiar with the area said that when someone drowns in San Francisco Bay, they almost always find a body. Another deputy told NPR in 2009 that the marshal service does not give up looking for people, and there is still a warrant for the missing men to this day. And these warrants will only expire as each man reaches age 100. But there were several sightings or reported sightings of these men after they escaped. Family members of the Anglin brothers reported receiving postcards and messages from them over the years. The mother of the Anglin brothers received flowers anonymously every Mother's Day until her death in 1973. And at the funeral, it was reported that two very tall, unusual women in heavy makeup had attended briefly before departing. And when their father died in 1989, again, two strangers in beards showed up at the funeral home. The quote was, they stood in front of the casket looking at the body, wept, and then they walked out. In the early 2000s, the U.S. Marshals received a second tip that one of the Anglin brothers was in Brazil. The U.S. Marshals went down to Brazil again, but never located him. And there have been plenty of other wild accusations since then from Alcatraz inmates that said they also helped in the escape, to individuals who said they actually picked the men up by boat in the bay, to one guy that said he met up with the men in Seattle and murdered them. Odd. Again, none of these statements have been verifiable as true. So then the news magazines and the real crime TV shows, they got involved. The escape was investigated in a segment in 1989 on Unsolved Mysteries. So two theories were tested, one by having an athlete swim from Alcatraz to the mainland and another by having kayakers paddle the same route in a replica raft. While the rafters failed due to the raft being unseaworthy, the swimmer succeeded in making it to shore. In 2003, a Mythbusters episode tested the feasibility of an escape from the island aboard a raft constructed with the same materials and tools available to the inmates, and they determined it was possible. Regardless of all that, remember that the FBI was done with this file and had been for about 30 years when some nosy investigative reporters started poking around and bringing up some pretty compelling evidence that suggested that these men got out alive. So all of the paper files were re-examined in detail in a 2011 documentary on the National Geographic Channel entitled Vanished from Alcatraz. And they discovered that contrary to the official FBI reports of the escapee's raft never having been recovered and no car thefts reported, an intact raft was discovered on Angel Island on June 12th of 1962, which is the day after the escape. It was also reported that multiple sets of footprints were seen leading away from the raft. Furthermore, it was reported that a car... A 1955 blue Chevrolet with California license plates KPB076 had been reported stolen on Angel Island the same day. Now, when confronted with that information, the FBI said, well, this is new information. But reporters responded that 
this information isn't new at all. Not only was it available in local police reports, but several newspapers such as the Humboldt Times and the San Francisco Examiner had actually publicly reported the theft of that car in the newspapers. Now, the insinuation in the documentary was that FBI officials knew of the evidence suggesting that the trio had survived and that a cover-up had taken place saying that the men drowned basically to save Alcatraz's reputation as an escape-proof prison. So what's the truth? Well, that's up for you to decide. Since then, a 2014 study of the ocean currents by scientists at Delft University concluded that the prisoners could have made it. A 2015 History Channel documentary entitled Alcatraz Search for the Truth examined those postcards received by family members after the escape, and they had a handwriting expert verify that it was written by the Anglins. They also had a photograph produced by a man named Fred Brizzy. He said he took it of the Anglins in Rio de Janeiro in 1975. Now, forensic experts examined the photo, confirmed that the photo was taken in 1975, and asserted that the two men were more than likely the Anglins. In January of 2020, a separate outfit also analyzed the photo using facial recognition techniques and confirmed with a high degree of confidence that the identities of the men in the photo were John and Clarence Anglin. On an episode of the series Mission Declassified, this was in 2019, investigative journalist Christoph Putzel replicated the raft and was able to navigate from Alcatraz Island to Angel Island, quote, without a great deal of difficulty. And his investigation ultimately led him to Brazil again, where he discovered a farm called the Farm of the Americans and learned that residents recalled two American men renting the farm and living there from 1965 to 1970. But enough about the Anglin brothers. What about Frank Morris? Now, as for Frank Morris, he's the third guy, remember, much less is known. A guy by the name of Bud Morris, who claimed he was a cousin of Frank's, said he met his cousin face-to-face -face in a San Diego park shortly after the escape. But after that meeting, the highly intelligent Morris seems to have vanished completely from public view. And that is the story of the 1962 escape. Now, if you enjoyed the story, the film Escape from Alcatraz from 1979, starring Clint Eastwood, that brings this story to life. And it's an excellent movie. So if you enjoyed this video, I would invite you to check out the movie. So that's the episode. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you have, smash that like button for me. If you got a question, you got something to say, put it in the comment section below. If you haven't subscribed, I'd ask you to do so. And last but not least, I love it when you share me on social media. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money.